Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. Pisando la pelota Nelson a la media vuelta, se vuelve a marchar Nelson, Martinelli con la pelota, el recorte de Martinelli, segundo tanto de Martinelli, segundo gol de Gabriel Martinelli. El... This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnerblog. James, a good evening to you because it is Sunday evening. Good evening. Good evening. Uh, thanks for accommodating me. It's very kind of you. I insisted upon shifting from the Monday to the Sunday, and you know you were very helpful in that. Well, well you didn't insist. You asked if it might be possible if we if we could record That's on the, the Sunday. The closest I get to insisting on anything. That's as <laughs> determined and decisive as I can be. Could you please record? Please, on the Sunday? sir. <laughs> um, <laughs> But it's good because we're going to do another one, aren't we, on Wednesday after the Chelsea game. We are. It's not going to be like a full cast extra, but because we've got a, a game on Tuesday against Chelsea, uh, it feels like we should do something on the Wednesday. So we'll probably just do a part one cast extra. What what do we call that? If it's not quite an cast extra, but it's not really an cast. I mean, the extra it's an bit. Arscast, Arscast extract. Very good. I like it. Yeah. The man from East Lower would be proud of you for something like that. Um, <laughs> Don't know if that's a good thing or not. Neither do I. I'm just saying that that's what would be the case. Um, well, listen, uh, I'm looking forward to Wednesday. Um, Are you? I, I think. <laughs> Are you? I think. <laughs> I think. Well, I kind of enjoy dissecting all the games at the moment, kind of irrespective of the result, which is a good thing because the results are, still aren't, particularly good. No, they're not. But I, I, I'm with you. I find it all a lot more interesting than I was finding it, uh, you know, before Mikel Arteta took over, let's say. Um, mm. You know, there is... The, you're looking for rhyme and reason in things and you're kind of seeing things and trying to understand what he's doing and all that kind of stuff, whereas that, that certainly wasn't the case. Um, yeah, look, I, I have to say I'm disappointed uh, that we didn't manage to hold on for a win. I think we've got a bit of an issue there. But, you know, overall, I'm not feeling... Maybe I'm, you know, wrong to feel like this, but I'm not feeling a sort of despair and angst and, and all those kind of things when we drop points the way I was previously, because I can sort of see that this is a new project. It's going in a different direction. As we keep saying, you know, we've wiped the slate clean. We're starting again. And so when you're watching the games through that prism, it sort of helps you cope a little bit better with, you know, conceding a really fucking annoying late equaliser like we did on, on Saturday. Yeah, it does. I think if you can see signs of progress or signs of a plan, it alleviates some of those other concerns. I mean, it is a bit like 
from my point of view, we're sort of in the longest pre-season ever. You know, I sort of regard all these games as sort of building towards something that we probably won't really realise mm. until next year. I know that's no consolation to everyone who's who's bought their tickets and paid for their tickets and is watching these games and wants results, but... I do feel like the, the general trend is in the right direction. What yeah, I wanted yeah, to yeah. ask you yeah. is like, what do you, um, what, where do you rank this performance uh, among Mikel Arteta's clutch of games that he's managed so far? Was this sort of one of your preferred ones or one of your less preferred ones? Um, that's a good question, actually. I mean, I don't think it was quite as good as some of the first halves that we've seen, you know, because we talked mm-hmm. about Chelsea, we talked about Man United, and there was a real a sort of almost panache about the way that we played. I think what's what, what was interesting about this game to me was um, Sheffield United are really good. Mm. And I don't know that, you know, uh, we, we should be surprised by that because they've already beaten us this season. Um I do wonder if there's still a little bit of a hangover from the just the the idea that you know this is Arsenal at home against Sheffield United a newly promoted side therefore the 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 game should go in a particular way this is how it should go based on what we all assume Arsenal to be and Sheffield United to be in the grand scheme of things if you like um mm. I certainly wasn't surprised by how good they were. I wasn't surprised by how well they pressed us and how hard they made it. Oh, Jesus, United just missed a chance to go 1-1 there. Um, sorry, I have it on here on a tablet beside me. You know, I don't think we should have been in, in any way surprised by that. But what I thought was was positive was the way that after that initial 10, 15 minutes where we really struggled, I think, to to get on top of what they were doing what was interesting to me and what was positive for me was the way that we we actually did we started to get control of the game it wasn't that we were creating a lot or anything like it but but we sort of came to terms with what they were doing and we we organized ourselves in a way which didn't negate them but we were able to cope with them better and i think that sort of in-game coping mechanism if you like is uh, is, a, is a positive for me. You know, it wasn't a brilliant performance overall, but I still think there were things within it that that, that I look at and I think, okay, I, I like that. Yeah, and we we kind of grew into the game, you're right, and then we slightly faded out of it. I think sort of the first 10 minutes and the last 10 minutes weren't great for Arsenal, but kind of between that, I, I thought we did okay. I mean, I think it tells you how good Sheffield United are that... I was really struck watching them about how organised they were, how disciplined, how much of a sort of coherent plan they had. And then after the game, their manager came out and said, well, I didn't think we were very good today. I was like, oh God, well, thank God we played you today and not as you normally play, because if that wasn't very good, I thought they were pretty effective. In the first half in particular, when it came to sort of cutting off our passing lanes and stopping us doing what we did, you know, to score against Palace, that kind of deep ball that suddenly splits the lines. We were really, really struggling in that regard. And, you know, Shaka was really deep. I think as deep as he's been under Arteta looking for that pass and Louise was too, but we couldn't get Lacazette and Ozil into the game whatsoever, really. No, that's true. Um, you know, but I think that was part of the way that we changed things was 
was shifting Shaka back a bit, wasn't it, to become this kind of auxiliary central defender? Whenever Saka, you know, was wide left, Shaka was basically a, a left-sided centre half. It was almost as if we were playing a back three, and that gave us some yeah. control. And I think as well, when you look at the opening 10, 15 minutes, you look at the way that Sheffield United they sort of um, they invited us into not quite a trap, but they would take the ball, they'd shift it backwards, shift it wide quickly, and then there was a diagonal. Um, to to the to the far side, they'd switch play and find somebody in a lot of space. They were obviously targeting Saka as well in the very early stages, a raw, inexperienced, not left back playing in that position, and they were pumping long balls into his area and, and everything else. So, you know, I think we have to bear in mind as well that they had the second best defensive record in the mm-hmm. Premier League. You know, only Liverpool have conceded fewer goals than Sheffield United. So, you know, they're not an easy team to score against. They're obviously not an easy team to create many chances against. Um, It doesn't mean that we can't do better, but I think you have to look at the game in that context. They are, you know, let's face it, having come up from the... um, from the championship last season to be where they were at kickoff, I think they were in sixth position in the Premier League, they're flying. They're absolutely full of confidence, full of belief. Um, They understand what it is their manager wants them to do. They know how to do it. And they're not afraid of any opposition whatsoever. You can see that in the way that they play. Whereas Arsenal, we are still trying to find our way. As Arteta said, I came in, I took over a team which found itself in a difficult situation, which is a pretty diplomatic way of putting things. And we're we're, we're only trying to uh, begin a process of, of the players understanding what it is that the manager wants. Um, so, you know, within that context, if you leave aside the, the perceived stature of the two teams... You know, the performance overall, you know, it sort of reflects where we are and where they are this season in the Premier League. Well, they have been better than us for the vast majority of this season, probably the entirety of this season. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it's interesting as well to look at the starting lineup and think... I don't think Mikel Arteta's had much luck generally Mm. as Arsenal manager so far. Uh, Certainly the stats would suggest he hasn't had the same luck in front of goal that that Unai Emery and maybe even Freddie Jumberg had, but also with injuries. I mean, to lose another defender, Socrates, we didn't necessarily know that was coming. And then to lose Reese Nelson the day before the game in training, having talked him up massively in his press conference. You know, it's funny, Martinelli was the goal scorer. I'm not convinced Martinelli would have started, actually, had Nelson been available. I agree. I think it would have been Nelson on the left-hand side. Mm. Um, You know, maybe it was a case he was going to play Martinelli and he was going to leave Pepe uh, on the bench. But, you know, I think, yeah, you're right. He hasn't had luck. Kolasinac is injured. Tierney is injured. Um, Socrates, you don't, you know, obviously you don't want to lose Socrates. But I suppose if there's a game where you, you, you not necessarily can sit him out, I suppose Chelsea is probably a better game to have, uh, on paper anyway, to have Socrates back uh, in the starting lineup for so you don't take any chances. But yeah, look, I think it did have an impact on, on, on the way that he set up his team. Yeah, absolutely. And and it was slightly different what we did in this game tactically. You know, that thing that you talked about, Shaka was almost playing as a, a third centre-half. I think Maitland-Niles was slightly wider than he has been. It, it was, it, certainly in the first phase of build-up, almost like a, a five at the back or three at the back with two wing-backs, Saka pushing on. For my money, that left Torreira a little bit isolated. You know, he was kind of holding the, the centre of the pitch yeah. on his own at times. And... 
you know, we when we were trying to progress the ball, I just felt like we ended up having to go out through the wing backs and we weren't able to go through the centre. We just were outnumbered there, essentially. Mm. Um, and, and that made things trickier. But we did create a couple of chances. I mean... As I recall, I think the ones that spring to mind came from bits of individual play from Pepe. There was certainly one where he went on a run and, and played in Martinelli, and it's it's a half chance, really, a snatch shot from the right corner of the penalty box. Um, there might have been another one. There was Martinelli. early on. There was a good move. It was actually a nice Arsenal move, and Pepe was set free down the right hand side. Yes, he crossed it with his right foot. Pepe to the back post, and Martinelli didn't really make the right kind of contact. So yeah, I mean, there were a couple of go- good opportunities, sort of against the run of play. But but counter-attacking opportunities, um, which did show, you know, it demonstrated some of the the the, the potential or the attacking mm. potential in the team. You know, for, uh, I thought Pepe of our sort of big three, if you like, was probably the brightest on the day. It didn't quite yeah. work for him, but, but you know, I'm sure we'll talk about Ozil and I'm sure we'll talk about Lacazette in, in a few minutes' time. But, yeah, I mean, look, they started very well. We looked a little nervous. I think we grew back into it. We, um, I'm not saying we weren't troubled by them at all, but I think it was another one of those games where you can see that there is just a bit more security in the way that we play defensively. We're not a team now that gets pulled from pillar to post the way that yep. we were. We're not opened up with one ball over the top. We're not opened up with one pass through the midfield. And those are things that I think we can look at and 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 use as building blocks. Um, the, the, the issue, of course, is trying to make us more effective from an, atta- uh, an attacking point of view. And that, I think, is probably going to take a, a little bit more time. Yeah, they had a couple of chances early on for for Moussa, wasn't it? I think that uh, that fell to him in the penalty box, but they weren't too worrying. And actually, I was sat behind that goal in the first half, and I, I thought David Luiz had a really good first forty five minutes. You know, he was very much more aggressive. Yes, than I, I noticed that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I was looking at that front-footed. I don't know if it was because maybe with Shaka there uh, sort of next to him, it's like he had a little bit more cover, so he could afford to come out and, and press the striker more. But he did do that very well and, and won and regained possession very well. So, yeah, I, I think we, we steadily grew into it. And the goal when it came, I mean, it didn't surprise me massively that it came from Saka because I felt like, you know, going forward, he just has... Uh, such a what's the what's the word I'm looking for? I mean, I, I guess an aggressiveness with his running that you know can be really beneficial, and that and that produced the goal ultimately. Yeah, look, he is very good going forward, and that's what he wants to do. You can see that he was talking about it afterwards, wasn't he? About how uh, mm. Shaq and David Luiz are shouting at him to come back and get back into position. But I think the way we can see that Arteta wants him to get forward, that's why Shaka is in that position. That's why he's providing that cover on the left hand side, yep. and it's also why when when Shaka picks it up in that area. Uh, Saka is basically hugging the touchline. He could not be any closer to the touchline to, you know, to give him the ball in that position, which he can get forward with. And I thought the the link up play between uh, Martinelli and Saka was was quite promising, actually, because, uh, you know, we've got two 18 year olds playing down that left hand side, you know, and, mm. and you think about um, their their relative. Um, well, not their relative, their actual inexperience and rawness at Premier League level. Martinelli, who has come in, you know, from Brazilian regional football and Saka, you know, who, who's only just gone 18, really. Um, you know, I, I think that's very, very promising. And that it combined or that they combined for the goal was was really very interesting as well. Martinelli 
is a really interesting young player, isn't he? Because there's you can see that there's some polish required to his game, you know, particularly sure. when when he's faced with an opponent um maybe in a more static situation when the game is flowing and when he's running and when he's, you know, traveling with the ball, you know, I think he looks very good. But when it's about the decision making, I think those are things that will come in time. But there's just so much to like about the way that he plays. And for him to be in the center forward position to poach that goal is like a classic old school poacher, wasn't it? The way that he was there following in, making sure he was uh, in the center forward position, which kind of is where Lacazette should have been. And I'm not criticizing Lacazette, but is where you would expect your center forward to be rather than your left winger. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. You think of the sort of stereotype of a Brazilian footballer and your immediate thought is what they do on the ball. But so much of Martinelli's game is about what he does without the ball and his movement and his ability to turn up in those goal-scoring positions. I mean, we've spoken about how basically all the chances... Uh, that we created in the first half fell to him and I don't think that's coincidence I Mm. think it's because he's just got a real knack for movement in the final third and turning up at the right place at the right time and you know he's shown that by scoring goals at every level that we've asked him to in in every competition and having lost Aubameyang from the left-hand side for three games who who obviously does that brilliantly, you know, arrives in the penalty box with those diagonal runs. He is the obvious replacement. And even if Mm. Arteta was thinking of playing Nelson, I'm sort of, I'm almost glad that Martinelli had this opportunity because I think without Aubameyang there, we we need Martinelli's goal threat. Well, look, he's got nine goals now this season and that's... um, That's great. Yeah, Yeah. it's, it's amazing. It really is. You know, we're in January. It would be amazing now if he didn't get into double figures, which for his first season in English football, uh, you know, at his age is is absolutely phenomenal. It's a great return. And I think it's something that Arteta has to pay attention to because we do have an issue with with Lacazette, who's not scoring at this moment in time. Um, You know, he doesn't look anywhere close to his best or or close to coming back to his best. You know, we can talk about the hard work and we can talk about the effort and we can talk about the work rate. And those are, you know, those are positive things. Those are things Mm. which somebody in the center forward position can and should contribute. And I think Arteta is right to give Lacazette praise for that. But at the same time, the main job is to score goals. Now, you could argue he didn't get a great deal of service yesterday. I think that could be, uh, you know, uh, fairly true. His first shot on goal was the... um, was the free kick. The free kick, yeah. Uh, you know, after which he was um, taken off for, for Eddie and Kedia. So, you know, it might be a case that Arteta has to think about, well, if if Lacazette continues not to score goals, maybe he's got to use um, Martinelli in that centre-forward position or, um, you know, when Aubameyang is back, use Aubameyang in that centre-forward position and, and keep Martinelli in the team. Maybe. I mean, we need the goals wherever we can take them at the mm. moment. And so, you know, we have to get goals on that pitch. And I think uh, I think Martinelli is obviously a massive part of that. But you're right to pinpoint Lacazette. But I also think that we need to look at Ozil and, and maybe even Pepe too as people who just need to step up in this period. Yes. I mean, I know, yeah. I, I know it's just three games that we're without Aubameyang, but even when he's back we don't spread the goals enough in this team. We don't share that burden. Uh, and we have players there who who should absolutely be doing more. Mm, certainly Ozil and, and Pepe are the two, given their experience and given their, you know, uh, given their stature. Given their records. And given their well. records, yeah. I mean, did I see a ridiculous... Um, maybe it's not ridiculous, but, uh, you know, a stat, I think it could have been from Orbino. 
Let me have a look here and see if I can find it. But it's something crazy, like Ozil has only taken six shots this mm. entire season. Wow, that is that is extraordinary. I mean, he's he's definitely zero goals in the Premier League, and I think one assist from thirteen starts. Which, you know, that's not what you would anticipate from him. No, almost regardless of whether you're sort of you know a big fan of his or not, you know that you can expect a bit of creation, and also just by virtue of the fact he's playing as a number ten, you would expect one or two goalscoring mm. opportunities to come his way, but it's not happening at all at the moment. No, it isn't. And maybe that's, you know, something that Arteta has to reassess as well. You know, I, I think Ozil has been better and he's clearly enjoying what's going on right now much more than he was under Emery, but he's got to start producing. You know, we, we, we're in a position now where we, we need points, we need to win games, and we can't just... I don't know, it's a weird one, isn't it? Because you think, well, if you just give them a chance, keep playing players, you know, who you know are capable of doing things, surely at some point something will happen and that will get them back on track. But, you know, it doesn't always work out that way. It's funny, you're right, though, because he's, he's doing a lot of the things... I think everyone's been asking him to do Mesut Ozil. You know, he mm. he is working harder. He is pressing. He looks like more of a team player. Um, but that finesse to his game that we're so used to that produces in the final third isn't quite there. Mm. And that's kind of unusual for him. It is. It is. So let's talk about uh, an incident that happened midway through the second half. Pepe mm-hmm. drove into the box and, in my opinion, was fouled. And Arsenal should have had a penalty. Um, I know you're maybe a little more dubious about it than I am, so... Well, I mean, I'm not that dubious. I think I, I think it is a penalty. Um, mm. Basically, in watching in real time, and I was just sort of behind that goal, although slightly unsighted by the goal itself, it was interesting. In the crowd, I don't think anyone around me really thought it was a penalty. And what was mad, um, and I talked about this in my post-match video, was how quick the VAR decision was. It was so quick that I think collectively in the crowd, we just assumed, oh, well, it must have been the most blatant of dives, you know, because the, the, the time it takes them to look at some stuff, and yet this, it seemed to be over in about six seconds, um, which I find really odd having yeah. seen it back because obviously there is contact there and I think while I think he's playing for it, I think it is a penalty. Yeah, It's a bit distorted because I think the... The view from the sort of camera side, you know, the side that everyone's watching the game on, it looks like he catches him when he sticks his leg out. But actually, it's on the withdrawal of the leg that there's contact on the knee, isn't mm. it? So, But he goes over, and I think that's a penalty. And, and I think we've conceded a lot of penalties like that. Absolutely. it's the I've been sort of staggered by the... Um, the amount of Arsenal fans are going, no, it's never a penalty, it's a dive, it's a dive. And I'm pretty sure a lot of those people would be uh, criticising Granit Xhaka if he were to make that kind of a challenge in the box. Well, I think I think that's true, but I also think if it was Son or Ashley Young going down, we would criticise them as well. Like, uh, yeah, for me, it's a dive so. and a penalty. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I sort of know what you mean. But I do think when you look at it, and you look at the way penalties are being awarded and you look at the decisions that VAR is giving this season, um, I, I don't yeah, understand I how right. it's how it's not 
a penalty. I really don't. I think we were really hard done by there. I'm not blaming that for our inability to hang on to a one-goal lead. But I do think that at that moment in the game, if you oh, get given a penalty, absolutely it does. You know, you, you I, get. I, it, it, I guess Lacazette would have taken the penalty as well. So probably not a goal, actually. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, it's the goal that gets Lacazette back on the score sheet and sort of reinvigorates him and takes that weight off his back and all that kind yeah. of stuff. You know, you can't say for sure that you would be 2-0 up, but you've got a great chance of, of going 2-0 up at home. Um, and from there, you know, you've got a better chance of uh, winning a game, you know, obviously. You know, it's self-evident that that's the case. So I think we're hard done by. And I think, that you know, that's another reason why I'm not going crazy at, at, at dropping points is that I think... Sometimes as a team, you just need some stuff to go your way, a decision to go your way, a fluky goal or whatever it was. And, you know, I, I just feel like we're not quite getting that at this moment in time. Um, I, I, Yeah, I think we, we, we did our best yesterday. I think the players uh, worked hard. There's no lack of effort in this team. You know, there might be a lack of quality or there might be a lack of attacking threat at this moment in time. But... Um, you know, I just feel like we're the rub of the green is sort of against us a little bit at this moment in time. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And I think that's borne out by our performance in terms of goals as compared to our, our XG or our chances created. We're not we're not quite getting the luck that we might have done uh, under previous managers. I mean, Uno Emery, for example, in his first season, kind of overperformed for quite a long time. Uh, and we're not doing that right now. What did you make of the substitutions in the game and, and arguably the lack thereof? Good question. And I actually had a couple of questions on this, so I might just go to them now. Just one second. Yeah, sure. We had... Um, boom, boom, boom. Let me see if I can find it here. Um, one from West Antone who says, I've thought that Mikel Arteta has been slow to react to tactical changes uh, made by the opposition, particularly against Chelsea and Sheffield United, and this may have cost us points. Do you do you agree? And do you think that's just the cost of having a rookie coach? And William Soresby at William underscore Soresby says, do either of you have any complaints about the subs? I think we take too long to make a substitute when we lose our footing. Um let me think about the subs that we made. Um, and Katia uh, came on for Lacazette. Uh, I and that was it. That was minute. it. Yeah, Around the 70th that? minute, I think. Somewhere yeah. in that region. And, and I don't know if this is something that the cameras picked up, but just prior to the equaliser, uh, Joe Willock was sort of stripped off and ready to come on. Um, and then Mikel Arteta, after conversation with his coaching staff, changed his mind, sent Willock, put, told Willock to put a bib back on, sent him out to warm up, was about to bring Genduzzi on, yeah. and then they scored. Yeah. Um, I, I saw Genduzzi um, about to come on before they scored all right, but it wasn't, right. it wasn't uh, made clear to us that Willock was the guy who was going to come on in the first place. Mm. Maybe that was a change that could have been made five minutes earlier. If you're bringing on a player to sort of shore up a game, I wonder if there was something in the way that it all went down, though, because Lacazette was captain on the day. Yeah. And I think the Lacazette substitution might have been perhaps with... Chelsea in mind 
as I much as so. as much as his own performance on the day, which you know wasn't great. We all know that, but I think there was probably an element of that. And they were saying on TV that it was Ozil who was about to come off for Genduzi. So I just mm. wonder if it was a case that having taken his captain off, was he just giving it a bit more time to? leave his captain on rather than take two captains off in the space of, you know, five, ten minutes because Ozil took the armband from from Lacazette. Um, yeah, maybe it is just something that as a, a new manager and as a new coach, he might have to be a little bit more decisive about. Um, would having Ganduzi on the pitch have stopped their goal? We, we, you know, we can't say, but... Um, yeah, I think if you're if you're at a point where you're uh, about to shore up a game and you're saying, look, I need to bring somebody on, we're going to try and hang on here for a 1-0 rather than try and, and score another goal, I think you probably should do it um, a little bit earlier in the game. Yeah, I, I do have some sympathy with him as well because, you know, he's already taken off Lacazette for Nketiah, so that's, you know, one £50 million player for a good player but an academy kid. He's got Maitland-Niles and Saka as his full-backs. He's got Martinelli still on the pitch. He's tossing up whether it's Willock or Ganduzi, you know, the 19 or the 20-year-old to come mm. on. This is quite a stretched squad at this point and quite a youthful squad. And I think uh, I can understand why he's like, well, my best players are kind of out there, you know. Mm. Um, but yes, I think fresh legs probably probably would have helped and maybe that that Willock for Ozil change uh, or Genduzi for Ozil change could have come earlier because Ozil wasn't really affecting the game at that point anyway. No, no, that's true. Um, but look, like we keep saying, this is a learning experience. Oh my God, Salah's just missed an open goal. One-on-one. <laughs> <laughs> it's wow. still 1-0 to Liverpool um, very early in the second half. Somehow. Yeah, this is a confusing um this confusing game for me because obviously I want Liverpool to lose at some point, but United. Um, yeah, of course. No one so, wants United to win again. So their goal, um, I think it was a little bit unfortunate that it was a kind of tired clearance from Lucas Torreira that that started that passage of play. You know, he was in the right place at the right time to sort of get the ball and hook it clear, but it went straight to a Sheffield United player. He didn't maybe, you know, hit it far enough down the pitch. Mm -hmm. And then he sort of drove into midfield to try and intercept, which he did throughout the game. I thought he was really good, Terraria. You know, that that's the thing for, you know, despite the, the frustration about the result, I thought there were some very good individual performances because I thought Terraria was good. I thought Louise, um, for the most part, was good. Uh, yeah. There was one moment moment, um, you know, where you let a guy get a free header. But apart from that, I thought he was very good. I thought Saka was good. I thought Shaka was good. Martinelli was good. So there were some good individual performances in there. Um, but Torreira uh, didn't quite make the interception. The ball came across. And, you know, what way would you analyze that goal? Was there anything we could have done differently to uh, to prevent it? Not massively, I have to say. Nothing particularly sprung to mind. I mean, it you know, it's one of those finishes that he catches it right, he gets the bounce, it goes in the top corner. Also took a um, bit of a deflection off Maitland-Niles. Yeah, top bins, as Mikel Arteta put it, which I enjoyed. Oh, uh, they hit the post, Liverpool. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I, the, I wasn't particularly vexed by our defending on that goal. They, they'd had a couple of chances. There was one, I think, from a corner where they headed it sort of straight at Leno, where I was pretty relieved. Mm. But it wasn't like they were creating a ton of opportunities. It just kind of, 
they got the one that they needed um and that was that and i think my reflection was less on oh we've conceded a goal that's poor and more on in the periods where we were more comfortable as against crystal palace we didn't turn the screw and we didn't create enough opportunities of our own yes yeah i think that's i think that's true and i think we have to point out as well that we were a little bit rattled by that goal when it went mm. in um, yes yeah, certainly and i think it was maybe as like the 90th minute or something, but Louise and Maitland-Niles both made extremely good, extremely important blocks uh, in our box to prevent Sheffield United shots. And I think Leno made a save late on. So, yeah, look, there's a lot. What did Arteta say afterwards? Um, There's a history, you know, a bit of a history when it comes to not being able to see games out conceding like goals, all that kind of stuff. You know, he's done, I think, quite a lot in terms of um, organizing the team and making it a bit more secure in just six games. But I think it's going to take quite a while to sort of get rid of that, that sort of weakness that we have, whether it's psychological, whether it's physical, whether it's both of those things, but this sort of inevitability that we have about you know, conceding or or letting games, uh, letting letting the opposition get back into games when we probably should have done more to to make them secure in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, a lot of things contributed. I mean, Arteta's talked about how the team maybe isn't as fit as he would like. You know, that might be a factor in the late stages of games. I think when you are changing it from the bench, generally you're making the team weaker. It's not like we've got a massively strong set of substitutes to call upon. Um, And and I think there is probably that psychological component as well. And Sheffield United came after us in those last few minutes. I think they sensed maybe that vulnerability could be further exploited. Mm. But look, it's a draw. It's another draw. I mean, we've had so many draws this season. I think, is it 12 already or something like that? Um, Uh, 11. 11, okay. So well on our way to matching what the Invincibles did as Andrew Allen pointed out on Twitter <laughs> well, it won't just be Liverpool emulating the Invincibles this season but uh, uh, yeah look it, it it wasn't the ideal result I mean my main takeaway from it was like that was quite a hard game I think mm. and, and that was quite a taxing game and to go to Stamford Bridge on Tuesday now after that uh is a, a test, certainly, a significant test. Well, look, Chelsea played at the weekend as well. You know, they were... Um, yeah, and got beat too. Beaten by Newcastle. So, you know, they played on Saturday evening. So physically, you know, whatever issues we have, and we definitely have issues because we've got a very thin squad and we've got some players probably who are, I, I would say, pushing the, the red zone. I think he's going to have to push them one more game. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And then, you know, there's a break, obviously, Um yeah, they go away, don't well, they? Well, no, I mean, there's a break in terms of uh, the Premier League because we play Bournemouth in the oh. FA Cup on the yes, Monday night. Right. So there's like Tuesday all the way to Monday night. So he's got to rest, uh, a chance to, to rest some players uh, ahead of that game. But then there's a two-week break where, we, do- yeah, where yeah. we don't have a game. Um, so I think we might see a bit of a rotation for the FA Cup game a strong team for Burnley and then, you know, a chance to to really get some training in um, wherever they go on this training camp because I know they were thinking about going to Dubai. Um, mm-hmm. 
but given the 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 state of play over there uh, in that region at the moment, I think there are some security concerns. I see that Brighton were thinking about going to Dubai as well, and they cancelled their their training trip to Dubai. Yeah, um, and they, they cited as yet for yeah, Arsenal, apparently. They cited the fact that they've got American Express on their shirts as one of the, one of the. <laughs> oh really? Yeah, yeah. So look, it might be a case that we end up down in the south of Spain or somewhere like that uh, on a bit of a warm weather training camp. Um, so look, we're going to have to just push it again for for this game against Chelsea. And look, it's very difficult to be confident, isn't it, about a win? Um, but we did well against Chelsea at home just a few weeks ago, so I think that might be something that they can take into this game. Yeah, it feels weird to be playing them again so soon, yeah, doesn't it? It's yeah. a quick turnaround. But yeah, I, I, I think it'll be a really interesting game, and we did have their number, it felt like, for half a game. So if we can kind of extend that, that would be nice. That would be good. It would be good to win again. Um it would be good yeah, to Yeah, it again. would. I mean, how many league games have we won this season? Six, Six. or something mental? That is crazy, isn't it? From 23. Six 23. Mm. Oh. It I is, mean, yeah. I think I think we're a very patient bunch, really, when you put it like that. Oh, well, I, six. Well, I, you know, we weren't patient until something changed. Six is the same as Brighton. It's the same as Aston Villa, who are in the relegation zone. Six is not a lot of wins. The same as West Ham. Oh, dear. Mm. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, I think the reason we're patient is because we, we've basically we've basically blown it up and said, look, we have to start again. I think that's why we're patient. Yeah, and also... Not everyone is patient, in fairness. Not everyone's patient, of course. And also, this is kind of the inverse of... of sort of early Emery Arsenal, isn't it? isn't it? In that he was getting the results, but the performances weren't anything to shout about. Whereas mm. Arteta, you know, your eyes tell you, oh, these performances are improved, but the results aren't yet in place. Now, theoretically, this is kind of a a better long-term way to come at it. So hopefully the results will follow. I mean, you know, we had that win over Manchester United. We all treasure that. And as much as the, the Premier League might feel a bit like a dead rubber between now and the end of the season a win at Stamford Bridge would be absolutely massive, something I would thoroughly enjoy. So Yeah, for sure. I mean, look, we have to start winning again. That's a simple fact. How we do it at this point, I think, is, you know, we can talk about performances and all that kind of stuff, but, you know, you take a win at Stamford Bridge if it was a poor performance and we nicked it. You know what I mean? You, you just would. I think the team needs to to win a couple of games in a row to feel like that's something that they can do. I wonder what, what's our record for like consecutive wins. Have we won consecutive games in the Premier League this season? I think we did at one point. I think I honestly Oh, the first was... two games of the season. Didn't uh, we? We beat Newcastle and we beat Burnley, didn't we? I'm not sure we beat Newcastle. Did we, we did on the opening day of the season. We beat okay. Newcastle 1-0. And oh, then yeah, we beat so we Burnley 2-1, but that was in August, and that was the last time we have won two consecutive games in the Premier League. We did have a run of three consecutive wins in September when we beat Frankfurt, Aston Villa, and Nottingham Forest, but that was Europa League, Premier League, and Carabao Cup. Um, and then we had two consecutive wins uh, twice where we beat Liège 4-0, and Bournemouth 1-0 Europa League and Premier League and then United and Leeds recently um, 
but that was Premier League and FA Cup, so... Yeah. Interesting. Hmm. Um, well, it, yeah. Basically, it's not been great, has it? <laughs> no, no, it hasn't. It hasn't. Um, you know, on that. Yes. On that. Um, do you think there's there's room for scrutiny for whoever's in charge of football at Arsenal? Like, if you're the head of football at Arsenal and this is what your season has produced, should you not be under the microscope a little bit? Yeah, very possibly. Very possibly. I mean, I've seen a couple of threads on Twitter. I'm trying to forget who put it to... Trying, trying to remember, to remember. I'm trying to remember. I'm trying to forget a lot of the season. I, maybe it was Phil Costa. I'm not sure. But somebody said... Look, I think if you look at our results now, there's a very good case to be made that Arsenal, uh, you know, acted too slowly. And that what we're observing is a team going through a transition and adapting to a style that they could have adapted to much quicker had, say, a change been made after the Leicester match in the fortnight mm. that followed. Um, and it's almost impossible, really, with hindsight, to look back at that and argue any differently. Uh, you know... We were in a terrible way. I think everyone knew a change was inevitable uh, and it didn't come. We delayed and we dallied. And even after Unai Emery was sacked, let's not forget, how many weeks was it until we appointed a new manager? Three, four? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Three weeks. Three weeks. I mean, so, you know, who's in charge of the squad building? That's, yeah. you know, I mean, we as fans are looking at, at kids like Saka and we're looking at Willock and we're looking at Martinelli and we're we're... We're being positive because we we understand. Oh oh oh! You fucking stupid cunt. Um, Martial just went through. Could, on it, could goal. have been any United player. Yeah, could have from been. that description. Like it's nice bit of football, clean through on goal, and he smashed it over the bar. Fucking dickhead. Um, um, but we're looking at the positives because we want to take the positives from these young players, and we can understand that you know this could be good for them developmentally. It could be good for us in the long run, maybe you know, short term pain for long term gain and all that kind of stuff. But yeah. you know, if your job is to build a, a squad that's capable of getting Arsenal back into the top four, and Arsenal are currently miles away from doing that and have won only six Premier League games this season in no small part due to the squad that you have put together. I think, uh, I think you know, in a normal organisation, I would be worried for my job if that were me. Sure. And, you know, we ask for more accountability at Arsenal and there was accountability to an extent to, for Unai Emery and he paid with his job. But I, I think it's only fair to look at everybody involved in in the mess that's been made uh, and question question their decisions and I, I suppose I suppose there is the sort of slight get out of well you know Unai Emery was just such a terrible coach that everything must be his fault but I think when you look at the the broader issues the recruitment and the fact that people at the club were considering extending his contract mm. it's it's impossible to absolve them entirely mm. um and yes, we're we're all excited. I think. Well, not we're all. A lot of people are excited and encouraged by Arteta, but there is a, a significant tinge of frustration that we've had to wait quite as long as we as we mm. did. Okay. Well, look, Chelsea on uh, Tuesday. Maybe mm -hmm. we'll have a question about that in part two. But we'll take a break right here, and we will come back with your questions and more in part two, right after this. Uh. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you sent to us on Twitter at GunnarBlog and at Arsblog, also on the Arsblog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog, and on the Arsblog Discord server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. James, I'm going to start today, if that's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this one comes from Denoronha. Denoronha mm-hmm. at Denoronha UK. Denoronha. Denoronha. I don't know. Anyway, he says, how real do you think Kurzawa to us is? A five-year deal for a Bosman who has been a spoiled brat for his years at PSG seems like more of the same bad transfer business. Do the Cronkies care enough to sack Raul if required? And then there were a couple of people asking questions like uh, Lars Toft, who's at Don Toft, says, if we do buy Kurzawa, I think we'll have to sell him again in the summer because we'll have three better options in Tierney, Kalasinac and Saka. How do you see this possible transfer? Well, it is real. The interest is real and the talks are real um, and as far as I know they have effectively agreed uh, that there's an agreement in place for a contract between the, the player and the club uh, I think what's happened is that obviously with Kolasinac getting injured the club have sought to accelerate that and try and do a deal in January uh, they were optimistic they could do it for not very much money at all what I heard today from France is that they might be quite misguided in that uh, belief because Kazawa is due to play this evening for PSG in the Cup. Uh, Bernat, who is their first choice left back, has got a muscular problem. And Thomas Tuchel basically doesn't want to let players who might be useful to him in the second half of the season go because he's under massive pressure to win pretty much everything. So I'm not as convinced that it's going to happen in January as uh, I might have been a few days ago. But I find it odd that we're looking at the player full stop, to Mm. be honest. Um, I find it odd because we've invested a lot of money in Kieran Tierney. Now, granted, he's spent the season out injured, but we're optimistic he'll be back before the end of the season. Uh, We have a player in Kalasnach who has been pretty decent under Arteta and then we have another in Bukayo Saka who 
I think has been very promising and very encouraging at left back. So if we were to spend several million pounds and sign Kurzawan now, I would find that a very weird deal, to be honest with you. Yeah, I um, would too. I would and too. It, I don't think you have to be a genius to sort of connect the dots and see that, you know, he's changed agent in December. He's now represented by a company of whom Kia Jarabchin is a director. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is known to have a good relationship here with Edu, of course, and Raul Sinei, and feel like this is a, a very convenient transfer, more than it is one that we necessarily need. Some might say that this is just the way that it works, that you've got these relationships and that if Arsenal are in the you know the market for a left-back, I'm playing devil's advocate here on this one, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, you know, if, you, if you've identified this player as somebody who can help you in, in, in a position in which you need some help, you know, why not utilise the power of these super agents, if you like, to, you know, to, to make a deal happen? I mean, I'm with you. I think it's dodgy as fuck, to be honest. Uh, not that you said it was dodgy as fuck. I, I'll say it, <laughs> it seems to me like it's dodgy as fuck. You know, uh, it feels like uh, mates rates or whatever you want to call it, you know. Um, I mean, look, uh, we've said in the past... Oh, it's a, you know Arsenal's refusal to deal with certain agents might have cost us in some respects, but I think that when you get into bed with these people, uh, you know there is there are certain things associated with that, and sometimes you know for every great player they might be able to bring you, there might be one they bring you that's slightly less great. I mean, do you think we need a left back? Right now? If if it were me, this transfer window, I would not be trying to sign a left back in no small part because of the uh, the way that Bakayo Saka has played. You know, mm. Tierney is out, but he's going to be out until March. Kolasinac is out, but short term. You know, it's not a, a serious injury um, as, as far as we're aware. So he's not going to be out for the long term. If you were completely out with no left back, maybe, maybe, maybe. But, you know, I think... Central midfield and the centre of our defence are areas which require some investment way more than left-back. And I also think that if you are going to sign a left-back, if if let's say the, the deal is that Kolasinac uh, and Arsenal are going to have a parting of the ways in the summer, which seems the most obvious way for this to go, right? Uh, you, you don't well, spend, Someone will have to go. Yeah. yeah, one of them will have to go, and it's not going to be the guy that you just spend £25 million on. I think no. we can safely assume that. So maybe there's an understanding between uh, the club and Kalasinac that in the summer he can go back to um, Germany or go somewhere else, whatever it might be. My feeling would be, why don't you try and scout a good player rather than bring in this guy who's been fairly poor for PSG, whose career has kind of hit a wall, um, he's not the, the promising player that he was at, at Monaco who signed for PSG. There are questions over his, uh, his character and his commitment. Um, his injury record His injury well, record certainly. is really poor. Um, he's probably, if you are going to bring him in on a free transfer on a Bosman, he's going to cost a lot in wages, which makes him very difficult to shift. If you want to do that, that's, you know, that's another aspect to this. So, I've got no problem with Arsenal looking for a left-back if they feel they need a left-back or if left-back is going to be an issue in the not-too-distant future. I just think this is 
unimaginative. It feels like doing someone a favour rather than doing the best possible deal for Arsenal. It feels like an easy deal to make rather than the best deal that we could make if we put some time and effort and scouting and, and, and resources into sourcing a left back who could be, you know, a competitor for or back up to, to Kieran Tierney. Yeah, I mean, there are other dimensions to it. I mean, just quickly on the player, I had a chat with someone who watches Pitchy very regularly and the way they described him to me was they said, oh, he's a very good attacking fullback. He's very good going forward. He can't defend, is basically what I was told. Fuck that. Though. And, well, I mean, yeah. I, 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 to be honest, unless this is something that, you know, unless Mikel Arteta's genuinely committed to this idea that his left back's just always going to bomb on and he's going to sit Granite Shaka in behind them, which I don't think is what he'll want to do in the long No, time. I don't think so either. I think it's, you know, it's a solution I for those situations. Made, 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 made. Yeah, exactly, with the fact that he's not really got left backs who can defend. Um, then that's a, a concern. I mean, the only thing I would say is that every press conference, Arteta keeps saying, well, we're having to play Maitland-Niles and Saka at fullback, and they're not fullbacks. And in Maitland-Niles' case, I would contest that point, that he's not a fullback. And I even think there is a case to be made that Bukayo Saka, if, if people wanted him to be, or if he wanted to be, he could be a very decent fullback. Particularly in the modern game, because... You know, there's no question these days that fullback is a massively important attacking role in in many teams. Yeah. You know, the days of the guy who who just doesn't go over the halfway line are, are long gone. He's not, you know, you're not working with a coach like Mourinho who forbids his fullbacks from going over the halfway line. You know, mm. you can think about uh, players, you look at the two Liverpool guys, I guess. Um, Absolutely. You think yeah. of Danny Alves, you know, who had no um, no compunction in getting forward. And I know maybe Barcelona aren't the you know the the team that you should hold your um, standards to, but but certainly you know with a coach like Arteta who's going to want his team to attack and who's going to use his fullbacks in an attacking way, there's certainly a, a case to be made for Saka um, maybe modifying his position. Um, I don't know. Yeah, maybe maybe Arteta feels that if he's using a left back or using someone like Saka at left back, he's got to protect him. He's got to set up his team in a way which maybe doesn't necessarily expose him as much as he might be. So you do have Saka playing the role that he played. Does that then come at the expense of of some midfield control? Yeah. You know what I mean. So maybe that's what he's he's dealing with. I think that's fair, and I think that is the reason that Shaka was quite as deep as it was yesterday. I think, you know, that was Saka's inexperience and him looking to sort of say, look, I'll put Shaka in next to Louise and provide that bit of extra cover in that zone of the pitch. But I, I think, I mean, look, Saka can play a variety of roles. I mean, he's a really talented kid, but if you play as a fullback, the game's always in front of you really you know it's not like playing as a forward mm. where you've got to play back to goal on the turn as a fullback he can drive he can run forward he can go shoulder to shoulder with people I mean that's my favourite thing about Saka I think is that yeah. you know he looks quite slight but he goes shoulder to shoulder with somebody he rarely comes off second best in that yeah uh, 
He's got real power. Yeah, no, I, I enjoyed that a couple of times yesterday, particularly in the second half. There was one where he got caught in the face, do you remember? And, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he was looking for the guy to be booked, and the next thing that he did was he just ran straight at him and ran past him, and the guy took him down and got the yellow card that maybe he should have gotten in the in the first place. So I do mm-hmm. like that about Saka. I mean, just coming back to Kurzawa, I, look, every single one of us, Anyone listening to this podcast, I think, would agree that Arsenal's recruitment over the last number of years has been substandard. That we've Mm. brought in too many average players for big money or on big wages that make it very difficult for us to to get out of deals, right? Mm -hmm. Why would we do it again? Why keep doing the same thing? And, and I don't think the emergency is so great that it needs to be done. Because also, I, I kind of feel like, what's the worst that happens? We finish mid-table, well, we are mid-table. Mm. You know, it's it, it's not like last season, really, when there's a, you know, there are Champions League top four places at stake. I know we've got the cup competitions, but I think we should we should have enough, and I think we can get a better left back if we're patient with it and you know you know we talk about getting into bed with these agents and it enables you to get better players and that's true to an extent you know would we have signed Nicola Pepe without the involvement of some pretty big time agents in that deal possibly not but did the involvement of those agents in that deal mean that we overpaid mm. almost certainly almost certainly and I'm not just talking about the transfer fee I'm talking about the agents fees that would have also been involved in that deal yes uh, yeah, I think that's fair. I, I, I imagine that when you get George Mendes uh, involved in a transfer, you know, he's not doing it out of the goodness of his heart. No. And he's not doing it not. for, you know, a shifty fiver. These things cost a lot of money. And I think, you know, we're at a point now where we have to, you know, as much as I, I think there's talent and potential in Pepe, I think we have to start asking questions that unless he starts to deliver some something tangible in, you know, the next in the next few weeks because he's been here a good time or, or certainly between now and the end of the season, we have to really start questioning that transfer yeah, fee. Sat Sam, who's at SK Arsenal on Twitter, said, can we all start to expect more from Nicola Pepe now without being too harsh? Mm. I'm not naive enough to think he should be scoring assisting every week, but I do feel for £72 million, pounds, uh, he needs to become more efficient and consistent in his end product. And I think that's completely reasonable. Yes, I, I do too. I think we're, you know, as we said recently, he's six months in now. You know, the, the, the mitigating factors that excuse a slow start to a footballing career, like a new country, a new league, coming into a team which, you know, was basically, um, what's the word I'm going to use here? Well, you know, it was on a, a very um, steep downward slope. Um, when he came in, you know, the football was a mess. And, you know, I think all of those things go some way to explain why he hasn't been as effective as you would expect a £72 million player to be. And people will say, you know, don't use the price tag to define him. And that's fair. I I get that. But also, with a £72 million price tag comes a measure of expectation. That's normal. That's just normal. Any player who is the record signing at a football club, there's a, you know, there's, an expectation as to why it is that you have paid that much money for this player is because, you know, you think he can do big things for the football club. So far, we haven't seen that. Um, you know, I'm I'm uh, patient and I, I think... Uh, 
I think there are signs of improvement in Pepe over the last number of weeks. You know, not not simply in the fact that he's been involved on a regular basis. I think we're we're seeing a player who's maybe beginning to to settle into the team and, and everything else. But yeah, I think we do need more from him. We need more from him. We need more from other players, of course. Um, but he is one of the senior attacking players in this team. And as we look to try and uh, be more effective from an attacking point of view, he's one of the guys who's who's got to step up a bit. Yeah, absolutely. And and look, that's not to take away from the fact I thought our better moments against Sheffield United, you know, a lot of them were associated mm. with him and he probably should have had a penalty. But, you know, there's been a lot of nearlies for Pepe and in a way that's encouraging because it's like, well, OK, there is something. Yeah, so something's going to happen, there. yeah. Yeah, but, you know, sooner or later he needs to to come good on that. And I think you're right. It's not necessarily about the price tag or £72 million, but if you think about it in terms of what that represents within our budget, you know, then yeah, I think yeah, yeah. that changed things. You know, if you talk about him, not talk, let's not talk about his transfer fee, but the fact that he was, you know, 65% of our expenditure or, or whatever it might be, you know, that's where I think it's fair to look at him and say, well, for that, we need more. Yeah, well, particularly as they might say, well, look, because we spent this money on, on uh, Pepe, this is why we're having to look at a, you know, a Bosman deal for a player like Kurzawa, maybe. That might be their justification and things like that. But yeah, I think it's reasonable to look at it from from that context. So look, hopefully hopefully he can he can do more and hopefully those sort of almost games yeah. become actual games for him. Um Yeah, fingers yeah. crossed. I mean like I say, I, I don't believe there's not talent there. There clearly is, but uh it, it, this would be a really good time for him to start firing because yes. you know, without Aubameyang needing goals in the team, uh, yeah. the need's particularly pressing. Even with Aubameyang in the team, we need these yeah, guys to do Yeah, we can't have one know? player yeah. who scores for us. Yeah, yeah. Um, this question is from the real Twatterman, who's at <laughs> Twatterman. And they say, do you think that Arsenal have suffered with penalty decisions ever since a particular moment or match that you can think of, which may have impacted on how our players and club are perceived by the FA or Referee Association. And he gives the example of the Henri handball against Ireland. <laughs> I'm not sure how that I would really know. affect things. I don't know. Um, I could be wrong. But I have a recollection of you know us getting quite a number of penalties in a season not so long ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. There think were this- some high-profile incidents like the Eduardo dive against Celtic, which we probably all remember. Um, and I feel like there was another one with Danny Welbeck, where there were like very public accusations of diving, but. I'm not sure. I, I'm no conspiracy theorist, really, when it comes to referees. But when you look at the numbers, say somebody like Mike Dean, it is striking that he has awarded us a lot less penalties than he seems to have awarded everyone else. Yeah, I'm not a conspiracy theorist either. I just think they're all cunts. Sure. This sure. 500th game um, thing with... Uh, oh, man. What the fuck? Get the fuck out of here. You know, go was, have a go have a referee's fucking dinner in some little chef on the motorway somewhere, and you can all sit around and have a a great time together. But like, just fuck off with this idea that Mike Dean is some kind of legend of the game, and that we should um, that we should celebrate the fact that he's had five hundred games um, in charge in the Premier League. I mean, it's like five hundred times football fans have been. 
Yeah. Fucked off. I'm just looking at the penalties awarded. Um, Go on. So this season we've had three. Mm-hmm. Manchester United have had nine. They've got Ashley Young, though. He must count. Not anymore, they don't. That's true. It ends here. Gone to Inter Milan. But, you know, after that, it's Watford 5, Man City 4, Leicester 4, Liverpool 4, Arsenal 3. Uh, In 1819, let me have a look at the season. Manchester United had 12. Arsenal had 5, which left us in 8th. United are racking up the penalties, aren't they? Yeah, 1718. We had five. Uh, Crystal Palace were top with ten in that season, which is quite Zaha. Um, mm. Sixteen, seventeen, we had six. Bournemouth were top that season with ten. Wow. Fifteen, sixteen, we only had two penalties. Leicester had Andy thirteen. Johnson at Crystal Palace, Leicester His superpower was getting penalties. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, little baldy um, guy. Leicester had 13, yeah, that was the the season where Vardy got us so many penalties. Yeah, little baldy guy, Andy Johnson, was actually linked with Arsenal quite a lot. I don't know if you yeah, remember that. Yeah, I do, but, I do, yeah. Um, yeah, it, it's an interesting one. I mean, I think it might have been Tim Steelman who posited the theory that if it feels like officials aren't really giving us many decisions at the moment, is that just a function of us sort of becoming a mid-table team and not getting that kind of big club bias that we're accustomed yeah, to? Maybe, but I think you can look at the, the the time when we were we were supposedly a big club and I'm not sure we got as many of those big club decisions as others. But right, I mean, yeah. it could be it could be a case that you know, from the inside, it's impossible to have an objective view on this. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Because we're fans and we feel aggrieved by decisions that are made against us. I think I had a question here about this. One second, um, maybe it's here. Yeah, it comes from Insight Arsenal, who's at Insight underscore Arsenal, uh, who says, with multiple key decisions going against us this season and recent stats released by at 7am kickoff on penalties awarded to us and our rivals, do you think we have a genuine course to feel unfairly treated by officials or are we just experiencing victim mentality? (laughs) Maybe, maybe. I, I mean, I think... I, 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 do, I do find it hard to believe there's a conspiracy amongst the refereeing group against Arsenal Football Club. I just I just am not sure. I, I think there are bad officials who make mistakes. And that's interesting. You know, we've all talked about the VAR, you know, the video review of the Pepe thing. But I think if Mike Dean makes the decision and gives a penalty, I don't think they can overturn it for oh, I don't it being think, a yeah. serious error. I don't think they would have overturned that at all. So, yeah. So, uh, we should be looking at the referee first and foremost. In and then, instance. yeah. So, what you're saying is we should be. Um, blaming Mike Dean. Blaming Mike Dean, but also blaming Martin Atkinson as well. well yeah, I mean, the both of them together. And then Mike it's- Riley. Mike Riley. Did you, you wouldn't have seen it, of course, because you were at the game, but there was a sort of moment where they, you know, I guess they went to the director's box or one of the boxes anyway, and Mike yeah. Riley, the sort of refereeing Emperor Palpatine, is sitting there in the stands looking on. Yeah, cackling with his hood Say up. Like, Infinite yeah. power! <laughs> you will never get another penalty as yeah. long as I'm in charge. <laughs> Embrace the dark side. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So, he wants us to kill him and then we turn to the dark side or something uh, like that. I, I, I'll do it. 
I'll do it. <laughs> if I can have a lightsaber, if I get a lightsaber okay. out of it, I'll do it. I'll do it without the lightsaber. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's bias on our part, of course. It's very... It, I had a really funny uh, tweet yesterday because I said... I think I said something on Twitter, like, I'd like, I haven't seen all the angles of the Pepe thing and I want to see the angle from behind the goal because uh, I do think he sort of stops his leg a bit unnaturally. And someone uh, messaged me saying, I think your new journalistic job has affected your objectivity. And I was like... Objectivity? Yeah. I was like, eh? I, 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 <laughs> it was really weird. It was like, it's. Comp- I think the, they said it's compromised your objectivity. Wow. And I was like, no, no. I'm trying to be more objective. I was. I had no opportunity before. Um, so yeah, I mean, look, people see what they want to see. I, look, it, uh, it. Yeah, okay, yes. There's a global refereeing conspiracy against Arsenal Football Club. I don't think so, but you know, I, I can understand why people feel hard done by by some of the decisions that have gone against us this season. You know, it's it's reasonable, yeah. I think, to uh, you know to feel that some of the things that have happened to us are. Um, are not right, you know the 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 Callum Chambers Socrates goal against uh, Crystal was it Crystal Palace, the one that was chalked off right at the end, because Callum Chambers being pushed to the ground by three other uh, footballers was deemed to be a foul by Callum Chambers. Was that mm, against mm. Palace? Was it the scra- it anyway? Was Palace. Th- yeah, th- there were a few, Palace. but there's always a few, and I think you know the reason why um, they feel so acute to us is because you know we lived them. And we experience them. Whereas when they happen to other teams, we either don't, we're not that aware of them or we laugh at them. They're, yeah. they're funny when they happen to other them. teams. It's great. I mean, there was, did you see the table without VAR that did the rounds? Yeah. And I think Arsenal were like top by 50 points or something like that, unbeaten. <laughs> <laughs> no, we were like sixth or something like that. I mean, so, so you know, it. VAR, which again is theoretically a, a pursuit of some measure of objectivity, has uh, it has felt cruel. Mm. It's felt unkind to us, um, even if we did all enjoy that Pierre Emerick Aubameyang goal at Old Trafford. Yeah, but he was because- onside by about fucking half the pitch. It shouldn't yeah. have even been like. I mean, that's that that doesn't work for me. That one, you know. I know it was a fire decision that went our way, but it was just inept officiating in the first place. Yeah, true, true. Yeah. But there, I suppose there are always going to be some inept officials. Maybe we're just getting more of them than other people. I don't know. Hmm. Uh, it's it's uh, it's frustrating. But I also kind of feel like it... I guess I kind of feel like it's sort of the, been the least of our problems for much of this season. Yeah, so I, I agree. I don't feel that great sense of injustice. I agree. There are things within our control that we can do better, and those are the things That's I it, think that yeah. we should that we should focus on. Okay, here's a couple of questions um, about um, uh, the young Brazilian Gabriel Martinelli. Uh, first one comes from M, who's at the AFC Franco eighty six. Okay. Um, I believe he's uh, James Franco's brother. No, the actor? Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 It's his brother or his son <laughs> or his cousin or something. I don't know. Anyway. Son M. Okay. His son M. M. Franco. M. Franco. He says, how big do you think Gabriel Martinelli's ceiling is? Not one to get ahead of myself, but this kid has everything in his locker to be one of the best. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so let me yeah. ask you that one first, and then I've got another question about him. 
Um, it's a big ceiling. I'm trying to think of big ceilings I've seen. Like a, in a train station, that's a big ceiling, right? 2-0 Liverpool. Salah just scored in injury time. Uh, United. Someone needs to counts. beat them really soon. Come on. Please. Um, because it's uh, have we got a game against them? Yeah, that's that could be our game of the season, our cup final. I mean, that is our cup final potentially. Going to be our cup final, apart from the uh, two cup finals we're actually going to be in. Apart from the cup finals, yeah. sure, 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 sure. Uh, I, I think Martinelli has a very special talent for scoring goals, and that's something. You know, Guardiola was talking about Aguero, wasn't he? And uh, he, he basically, you know, pulled out some cliches about you, you can't really coach that and there are aspects of Aguero's game he's improved but the, the goal scoring knack is somehow inherent and Martinelli just does seem to see pictures in that final third and feel where the goal is going to be in a way that is pretty special mm. so how high do I think his ceiling is I think it's high enough to be a first team player at Arsenal and that'll do me uh, I, I just a really good first team player at Arsenal who doesn't leave for Real Madrid or Barcelona. That's where I want his ceiling to be. <laughs> I think the last part of your thing could be a worry, of course. But look, yeah, yeah no, I, I agree. I think when you come to English football, when you score nine goals by mid-January in your first season as an 18-year-old and you scored the goals the way that you've scored them, I mean, I think that for me is the most impressive thing. Not so much the goals that he has scored, but the the the, the quality of the goals. Some of the headers, some of the finishes have been absolutely superb. The movement that he has, the the as you said earlier, the instinct. You know, mm. the, it's not something you can teach. Well, no. maybe it is something you can teach, and maybe it's something you can learn to a uh, to a certain level. But I think it's we don't you know, need to teach him. That's no, the good bit. Exactly, exactly. You know, and if you have that sort of just as part of your natural talent, then it's like um, it's like Tim Cahill. This yeah. is going to sound weird, but Tim Cahill was what five foot seven, five foot eight. Yeah, one of that. the best headers of a football that anybody has ever seen in the Premier League. Is yeah. it because he spent hours and hours and hours jumping? Probably not. He was just really, really good. Some people are just really, really good at heading a football. He was one of them. And I think Martinelli, when it comes to his movement, when it comes to his anticipation and reading the game in that final third, I think he's got something that, that makes him stand out, you know, uh, as opposed to, to other 18-year-olds. So I think... You have another I, question about him. Yeah, I do. Um... It comes from B. Well, who's at Skipper AFC, who says, what did you make of David Luiz pulling Martinelli to his feet in injury time mm. yesterday? Appeared to go mental at him for wasting valuable time with an injury, in inverted commas. Yeah. Did the cameras catch that? Did you see that yourself? Not really. I don't know if they did, actually. I'll have to... So what happened was we won a corner. This was at one all. This was very late on, 88th minute or something like that. And Martinelli, in winning the corner... Got, got a, a smack in the face, I think. Smack yeah. in the face, like a palm in the face. And he was down off the pitch, sort of behind the line, as Arsenal prepared to take this corner. And David Luiz marched off the pitch. He'd, he'd come up for the corner, picked Martinelli up and sort of dragged him into the penalty area and positioned him, mm. you know, at the near post. Now, in a way, it's a compliment because he was saying, we need a goal. 
and that's one of the things you're good at. Come and stand here. I also think that David Luiz is quite an emotional character and he's quite given to mm, visible expressions of that and of, you know, his leadership, it's difficult to tell if it's superficial or not because, do do you know what I mean? So, like, in the huddle before the game, he's He's the the guy who does Yeah, he's the the one doing the talking, isn't he? And similarly, this moment, I'm not going to say it was for the crowd, but certainly the crowd really enjoyed it. And uh, I really like Louise as a character. I think there's a lot of positives about him, but this... Yeah, I, I was sort of unsure about it. I, I was like, well, it's great in a way, but if he has actually been struck quite hard in the head, he also might need to recover from that, you know? Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. Um, was it that well, hard, though? I'm not sure. Maybe not. Maybe not. And maybe. also, like, I mean, l- the man sat behind me literally said, that's the best thing I've seen all game. So fans <laughs> absolutely loved it. You know, um, I, I have to say, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of with you and I like, you know, I'm, I'm quite torn by Louise yeah. in some ways because on the one hand, you know, he spent such a long part of his career at Chelsea. There's that. That's a big stain mm-hmm. on his life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah, um, can't take that away. Can't take that away from him. Um, and then I think, I think of how bad he was this season. We all remember. We all remember because it wasn't Seared that long into ago. into our brains. Yeah. You know, but I find him a very likable character when I hear him speak, when I listen to interviews. I, I like him. I, I, I like what he's doing now under Arteta in terms of taking on that mantle of leadership. You know, taking on the responsibility, being strong and aggressive at at centre half, talking to players, you know, leading the huddle, but he does it on the pitch as well. You can see it. I I like that in a player. Mm. And then I also think, well, where was it? Where was it before now? And is this a short-term thing and, and whatever? But I do think there's something you know, about his character in general that is nice and all the guys um, that you hear talk about him talk about him in in glowing terms and what a good guy he is to have around the training ground and, you know, speaking to, you know, a few people at the club, he's he's very, very popular. But, you know, the Chelsea thing and then the season, you know, it's a weird one. It's a weird one. You know, I, I, I like a lot of what he does apart from his defending when he can't be arsed, which is sometimes... Yes. Well, I think we have to be fair to him and say that in the first part of this season, he was playing in a team that offered him almost no protection. No, I agree. Times. I agree. Yeah, that's fair. That is fair. And it was when we beat Manchester United, I, can't, I think we didn't do a podcast, actually, so I didn't tell the story, but uh, we beat Manchester United and Louise was excellent that day. And uh, my brother, who is a Chelsea fan... He texted me and said, I'm really glad that Arsenal fans have seen that David Luiz. And I sort of asked him what he meant. And he said, when we won the title under Antonio Conte, and in fact, uh, I think in one other season with Chelsea, he said he was absolutely imperious, really. And there are the occasional kind of brain fart moments that we remember and that, you know, opposition fans enjoy. But he said for the vast majority of that season, he was absolutely outstanding. Mm. And when you look at what he's done in his career and what he's won, 
you can't fake fake those medals. Do you know what I mean? There's yeah. something that he must be a player, and you know I think he's a player who has flaws, and if he's exposed those flaws could become really problematic as we saw in the kind mm. of autumn months but in a in a well structured team he's looked substantially better and you know he's also going to be 33 in april but i i thought he looked athletic he looked aggressive against sheffield united um and i'm I, he must be one of the first names on arteta's team sheet yeah. at, at present yeah for sure for sure and, and he's so important to what we do on the ball as well i mean he is very you know, I, very good on the ball isn't he like even he, even at times where we're pressed i i don't feel that worried when he's on the ball a couple of our other central yeah. defenders i i you know would have some concerns about that but you know he's he technically a very very good footballer and there are some pretty interesting stats, actually, about how he's using the ball now as compared to how he used it under Emery. I mean, he's on the ball a lot more. He's making 20 more passes per game than he did under Emery. Um, and that's partly because Arsenal just a more of a possession team. But he's playing a lot more long passes, passes that advance the play quite substantially. In fact, mm. he's playing more long passes under Arteta. I think it's about 15 per game than he has under any of his other 10 Premier League managers uh, and clearly it's very deliberate Arteta wants us to go back to front as quickly as possible because not only does that get the ball into our, our dangerous attackers where we could have that overload with that front four front five but also if we go direct if Louise goes long then we've always got men behind the ball mm. and actually the more direct our passing is the more protected we are against the counter-attack. So there's this kind of interesting paradox with Luis where the more he has the ball and the more ambitious he is with it, the more he ends up being protected against his vulnerability. Mm. Um, so I think he's really, really interesting tactically in this setup. And I think I think Arteta... that He's one of the, the examples of Arteta kind of... And what I like about him is he's making the best of this squad. You know, well, look at the centre-halves he's got. He's got Louise. So, OK, he's going to make that a feature of the play. He's going to use Louise as a playmaker from deep. He's got left-backs, but they're not good defensively. Fine. We'll push them on. We'll play them in the final third. We'll use them on the front foot. He's got Shaka, but he can't play on the turn. He gets lost in the, in the mess of the midfield. Pull him out of it. Pull him back. Give him space. Give him time where he can do his job well. I, I love that about what Arteta's doing. And as much as I would love us to be picking up more points, the way in which he is kind of adapting the tactics and the strategy to the strengths and weaknesses mm. of the players' his disposal is really, really encouraging to me. Mm. OK, have you got a question? Yeah. Um, this one is from Mange Man and the E on the Discord. OK. Don't know to what that name refers, which I may have shown my naivety, but there you go. How much playing time will Nketiah get at Arsenal versus the Championship uh, on loan, I presume it means? And do you think it will be enough to get the ideal development out of him? Yeah, I do wonder what happened there. I it's wonder. really weird, isn't it? It's yeah. interesting. I wonder what happened or what the I thinking was. Um, because, you know... I, I literally asked Arteta in a press conference, my, my, my own self, I put my little hand up and said, please be careful, can I ask a question? <laughs> and, and then I, they said, yeah. And I was like, well, because uh, Bamiang, uh, 
uh, red card. We, uh, what are you doing, Ketia, now? And because <laughs> I was so nervous, obviously. And uh, he said, well, w- you know, we've got Eddie's long term uh, d- development in mind and the red card won't affect anything. And I absolutely interpreted that as he's still going online. Yes, I think everybody did. I think that was the expectation. Um, I mean, does it mean he's just been absolutely sensational in training? I mean, that's the that's the, the exciting way of thinking. Yeah, about we it. we we can't know. I I just wonder if it's to do with having a bit more depth in the centre forward position. You know, between now and the end of May, we've got. Um, We've got the Europa League. We've still got the FA Cup. We've got the Premier League. Um, mm. You know, as we spoke about, there there might be a time where we've got to prioritise Europe. Um, it could be seen as a way of giving Eddie Premier League minutes. I do. I just wonder, has something happened or is it because of something else that's going to happen maybe in January? I mean, that's just speculation on my part. I don't know anything. Um, but, you know, it's... It is an interesting one because if he did go to somewhere like Bristol City, oh, actually, that's why it didn't happen. We prepared a, a, a draft on Arsblog News. Ah, <laughs> oh, the truth is out. Yeah, we did it. We did We did the Higuain thing. You know, same we did. Higuain signs for Arsenal. We prepared the story. Never happened. Every time we do it, it just doesn't happen. So we prepared a Inkedia to Bristol City story. Could you do one for Kazawa? <laughs> <laughs> Do you want a Mustafi signs a new contract one? One of those? Any others? Yeah. We're taking requests. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I, I feel like he was honest with you when he answered that question and said they've got to think about his long-term development and oh, yeah. playing yeah. time is, is key to that. So the only thing I can think is that they have got some plans to use him and they've got some plans to play him. You know what? When he came on the other day, I feel like he's taller than he was. Am I wrong? He definitely has filled out. He looks no, bigger to taller, me. No, taller. 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 Looks taller, taller to me. I just remembered him impossible. being... He like could how, be wearing very long studs. I don't know. How tall is he? Uh, Eddie and Keddie are height. Let's see. 1.75 metres. So that's what? That's not five, that short. 5'10". Is that about 5'10"? He's definitely grown, I think, since he was, you know, 16 or so. No doubt about that. Um, Five foot seven. He looks taller than five foot seven to me. He's a tall five foot seven, though, isn't he? He is. He's about a five foot Um, ten, five foot seven. I don't know. He's five foot seven until he's five foot eight. That's how it works. Right, okay. But (laughs) I, I, I have to say, actually, somebody asked a question on Twitter uh, let me find it quickly in Ketia. It was actually Dernaronya De who opened up the question section in part two and said, and Ketia always looks like he's trying too hard when he comes on. Mm. I, and he said, is that a concern given Lacazette is not scoring? I know what he means by that. Uh, and I had that slight sense. And yeah. Ketia sort of, he plays kind of a bit like a very athletic fan might. Uh like he's super enthusiastic and determined to score. Yeah. 
but maybe not that strategic with it. It feels like that to me anyway. No, I agree. Sort of at the expense of doing, you know, look, yeah. he's eager and he obviously wants to make an impression and he wants to make an impact. And, and as Pepe a striker... Was very frustrated with him at one point. Really, really angry with his movement on one counter. I think there was one, yeah, I remember... I think it was a little bit harsh because I think the ball into yeah. Nketiah, and maybe it was the run or whatever it was. I think it was a little bit harsh from Pepe. He was unhappy with the run, I think. But yeah, it, but I I see that in Nketiah. and you know clearly he's a player of great talent. But when he plays on the big stages, uh, the Premier League particularly, it you can slightly see it in him. I think. Mm, but of course he's he's only twenty years of age and. You yeah. know, the reason he was out on loan was to get experience and to come back and to, you know, to come back as a more polished all-round player and as, a, you know, everything else. So he could be on the bench plenty because... Yeah, I think so. I think in Arteta's first team, he doesn't have Aubameyang as a centre-forward, does he? He's probably got Lacazette with Aubameyang from the left. So, mm. you know, Martinelli and Nketiah are kind of the backups for those guys. Look, I think... You know, if uh, if we got an injury to to Aubameyang or to Lacazette, you know, it leaves us with, with one striker. That was a situation we were in last season, and we got away with it. We got away with mm-hmm. it. You know, I think you know two strikers is not enough. It's not enough depth for for a club uh, like Arsenal. I think you know you need you need more, even if one of them is very young and very raw and inexperienced. I think there's cup competitions that he might get some some playing time in. And I think just as an option from the bench to have another forward to throw on is is obviously is obviously handy. So I mean yeah, given our inability to score goals, you know, that's one thing he absolutely does have mm. is a nose for goal. And maybe that was a factor too. I mean it's Chelsea on Tuesday, the club who released Nketiah for oh, being it's too ri- small. It's written in, in the stars. There's lots of lovely, delicious narrative there. Chelsea Chelsea wanted a striker who was five foot eight and he was only five foot seven. <laughs> they said, Get get out of here, you. Get out of I here, Eddie. Leave. You take your you take your shit and get out of here. Um, it was surreal slightly seeing him come on. It was it felt you know, hashtag like a new signing almost. Um yeah. So yeah, I wish him I I, I hope he gets opportunities, and I hope this is a good six month for him. I can't help but feel that if he doesn't get game time, this season will feel a bit like a waste because he went to Leeds and we thought he'd play lots of minutes there. He didn't. Now he's not going out. Mm. He's got to get minutes, really, for this to have been a worthwhile experience for him. I think he will have learned quite a bit from Leeds, in fairness, True. even if Regardless he didn't. Of if he played. Yeah, you know, yeah. and I thought it was interesting as well that Bielsa said we did everything we said we were going to do with Nketiah, you know, when they took him mm. on loan and, and everything else. So I don't think it's a case that, that, you know, you can't demand that a player on loan at another club gets minutes. There was you, talk about guaranteed minutes. I, I always found that very yeah, unlikely. Yeah, that's bullshit. You know, you wouldn't, as a coach, you wouldn't say, we're going to guarantee him X amount of minutes, you know, form and the, the way a team performs and the way a player performs. You know, that's how you... That's how you select your team, not because you've promised, uh, you know, another club that their young player um, who's not going to be with you next season. Uh, you know, it's just no. I don't think that's right. But look, we'll see what we'll see what happens. Um, I think he might have a part to play between now and the end of the season if he can chip in with a few goals. You know, for a team that's very light on goals, um, maybe keeping him will will prove to be a, a good idea. Fingers crossed. I'd love that. Well, look, I think we better leave it there because uh, we've been going a a good long time now. We will have uh, an Arscast extract 
on <laughs> on Wednesday. We'll have that yeah. for you relatively early on Wednesday morning. It'll just be myself and James who won't be doing the questions, but we'll have a review and some thoughts on the Chelsea game in which hopefully Eddie will have scored the winner. Um, and we can talk about that on Wednesday morning. We'll keep fingers crossed that we can pull off a, a decent result there. So until then, take it easy, folks. Bye-bye. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.